Um, as they're heading out, you know, it was interesting. We haven't, we haven't talked about this in a while, but, but one, of the, one of the dynamics, um, Drew, Drew has said this, and he, I know he got it from somewhere, but we're just going to give him credit because it's really wise. So, so but I remember Drew saying, where, Drew, where'd you actually get this saying from? The, uh, well, you don't even know what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, get out of here, get out of here. They'll be fine, they'll be fine. There's only like a million of them. They'll figure something to do, so... But no, there's this saying that, that Jesus didn't come to make good people better or even bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen? And I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but there's some times where you just feel dead. You just feel empty. You feel broken. You feel down and slow and sluggish. And maybe sometimes that's coming from within us. Sometimes that's the things going on around us. But that song just reminds us that no matter what's going on, it's okay that we don't have our stuff together, right? Like, that's the whole point. That's the beauty of Jesus is that, is that we come to him as we are. And he loves us that way, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so we can run to him full on like a little kid to his father, knowing that he's going to embrace us, love us, and just say, okay, now let's go, right? All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, appreciate each one of you. As we continue to grow, uh, I really want to emphasize the importance of those connect groups, because as we grow, we still want to stay a small church family or church families. And so take that time to plug in. If you have any questions, talk to myself, Drew, or Chris, or or, or someone else here um, on leadership with Greenhouse. But but just let us know because we want to get you plugged in. And, and I know the schedule is kind of, kind of goofy, but we'll try to our best to keep you um, updated on that. So, okay. I'm going to do something that most uh, people that are speaking or teaching don't want you to do, but can everybody do this? Turn your head to your left and look out the window over there. Okay. Um, on your left, you see the Mount Timpanogos. All right, Mount Timpanogos is right around 12,000 feet elevation. It's a, it's a long one right in the middle there with kind of the couple summits right over there. So if I was to ask you to describe Mount Timpanogos from just looking at it, how, how would you do it? Just describe it really quick. Foggy, smoky, what's that? Big. Blurry, what else? Stunning. Scary. On another day, it would be majestic. Scary. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is right here, I can already tell, like some of us are just being honest to what we see. It's smoky. I see smoke and I see a little silhouette, right? That's what I see. And that's how I describe it. Others of us have some knowledge. Maybe we've, like we said, on another day, it would be beautiful. You know, we see, I mean, even this has some post-apocalyptic beauty to it, right? So, so I all of a sudden, <laughs> Book of Eli stuff going on over here, right? But, um, but some of us have, have been around and we've seen it on a crystal clear day. We've seen it at a sunset where it goes from, from, from that to orange, to purple, to silver, right? We see it. Some of us have climbed it. Some of us have camped on it. Some of us have spent years playing in the midst of Mount Tipanogos, right? So we could say these one word things, but then if you were to really describe, say, Mount Tipanogos to its fullest, it would be really hard. Because, yeah, there's the summit, but then all of a sudden you realize you get into it and there's all these different ranges to it on the front side. It looks like this, but then if you get over to Pleasant Grove over there, um, 
where, where Caleb and Morgan live, it looks like totally different. All of a sudden now you see the front range and that's what you see. You don't even see the, the peak as you get closer over there. You realize there's all these cool meadows and that's just on the front side. On the back side, you have the largest one of the largest living organisms in the world, and it's the aspen grove. It's all one shared root system. Fantastic, right? What a metaphor for the church is that we all share one root system, but yet it sprouts up all over the place, and it's beautiful. And every single one of those trees shares the same DNA. Praise God, right? And there's streams, and there's creeks, and there's waterfalls, and there's cliffs, and there's moose, and there's bear, and there's deer, and there's woodchuck. I don't know woodchucks. There's marmots and squirrels and 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 bugs and and tree and all these different foliage and plants and and we could go on and on and on and on and on about all the different things that are a part of Mount Timpanogos. It would take a really long time to fully describe the majesty and the glory of Mount Timpanogos. Now let's cast the wet night the, the, the wet the the net wider. And say, let's describe the entire Wasatch Front. It goes for miles and miles and miles. And, and now let's start to describe every canyon, every stream, every rock, every tree, every plant, every bug. It's kind of hard to do. Now let's start to describe the entire Rocky Mountain Range complex that goes all the way up into uh, Canada and all the way down to Mexico. It goes for miles and miles and miles and miles. Just, just ginormous. How would you describe that? Now let's let's go even wider. What about the continent that the that that we're on? Right. I mean, now you have the Rocky Mountain Range, you have the Grand Canyon, you have the beaches, you have the the beautiful plains of Nebraska, full of corn and amazing people. Um, I'm from Nebraska. Um, everybody's like, I've driven through there before. You're not. You're not. There you go. But then let's take the entire globe. Now let's include the oceans. Let's, let's include what's on the other side of the world, north to south, east to west. I mean, the diversity on this globe is mind-boggling. How do you describe our world? Because there's so much going on. It's just as mind-blowing. I've traveled a few places. I've been to England or over to Europe. I've been to, to Mexico. I've been to Panama. I haven't ever been to, you know, I've been to Canada once, right? And it was awesome. It was good. Um, but it's sort of like, how do you, and, and I, someday I want to get over to Africa. Someday I want to get over to Asia. Like, like it just, it just is mind boggling to think at how much variety there is in the world. And we only get one little sliver of it. Now I can, I can go to descriptions and, and learn from it, right? Sunday afternoons. When it's not football season, I like to watch like 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 Discovery Channel and like things about like nature and stuff like that. And and it's just it's just so, you know, entertaining and, and educational and just inspiring. Right. You feel so small in the middle of it. But now let's go to our solar system. I mean, how in the world does this stuff work? I mean, we guys, we are hurtling through space at, at just unimaginable speeds right now. Y'all feel solid and safe. We're not. <laughs> we are like, we should all be like, hold on to something, right? I mean, we're flying around. And how we haven't ran into something yet is, is just, I'm, I'm glad that God's a good God, right? But then let's take our solar system. Let's take it beyond to the galaxy. And then let's look at other galaxies. You get where I'm going with this? 
is that we are a part of something that is so ginormous and we are so teeny tiny. And, and yet we think that where I stand, the space that I take up is the center of the world. We have no comprehension at how big this world actually is. This week, I, I actually read a description about how to, to try to describe even just one mountain in, in a couple words is like trying to fit a full-grown elephant into a thimble. You just can't do it. And that's just a mountain. Let's talk about everything else, right? Last week, we started the What We Believe series, looking at God's Word, how, how God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible, helps us to understand God, His creation, ourselves, and each other. That's where we go to. We go to God's Word, the Bible, because He went to great lengths to write it and to inspire it and to, to form it to, so we can have it so that we can know Him. And today we're going to get to what's at the center of it all, God. God. If you were to explain God to someone, you might use the words like creator, powerful, awesome, things like that, right? And, that, and that's a good start. But here's a few more straight from God's word itself. Infinite, perfect, invisible, revealed, unchanging, immense, eternal, mighty, wise, holy, free, just, absolute, jealous, loving, gracious, merciful, patient, good, true, forgiving, holy, source, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at all times, sovereign, limitless, other than us. And that's just a start. And those are straight from the word of God itself. Now, while that's a pretty good list straight from his word, it's still not a complete description, right? There's so much more to who God is than we can ever even comprehend. The Bible talks about a lot of like details of life and things like that. But what I love is that from time to time, it steps back to reveal glimpses of just who the word of God comes from and is about. The best word to describe God is glory. Glory. From beautiful and worshipful poetry and psalms to in your face, who do you think you are moments in Job. I love that where, where, where Job and his friends are trying to wrestle with the realities of life. And why is this happening? I think this happened. Oh, I think this is not. And they're all bickering back and forth. And all of a sudden God comes in and says, Job, sit down and take this like a man. <laughs> and he goes on for like five, four or five chapters. And where were you when I laid the depths of the oceans? Where were you when I put this? Into it? And he just goes off, right? And it's not a very nice thing, but it really is because it reminds Job of just who he is and who his creator is. And then in the Gospels, we see this God, the glory of God with flesh on. And then in the Old Testament prophets in the book of Revelations, we see these bizarre visions that are, that are human beings. that are the ants trying to, 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 to like describe something so much bigger than them. And through these, these, these bizarre images and these visions, right? God wants us to see his glory. Why? Why would the creator want the created to, to understand a glimpse of who he is? Why? Because how we view God's glory defines every area of our lives. Think about it. How we view God's glory will define every area of our lives. Paul David Tripp, who writes the book, um, Do You Believe, that we're taking this whole series from, great book. He says it well. He says, few believers suffer from a view of God that is too big. But many suffer from a God who is sadly too small. 
We cannot allow ourselves to hold a theology that shrinks God down to a manageable size. Nobody really suffers from a view of God that is too big, but too many suffer from a God that is too small. Here's four dynamics of God's glory and how we interact with it. Number one, every aspect of our lives is shaped by a pursuit of glory. Think about it. We're either seeking God's glory or our own. It's, it's not a multiple choice. It's, it's one or the other, right? It's A or B. There's no C, D, E, F, or G, right? It's A or B, our glory or God's. And we're in a pursuit for either one of those glories. How we answer that will shape how we understand, view, engage, philosophy, science, psychology, politics, culture, recreation, finances, vocation, education, relationship, identity, and more. Because how we engage this whole glory thing will determine the trajectory that we put ourselves on. Number two, sin turns us into glory thieves. You see, God created his creation to reflect his glory, to to reveal his glory, to to help us to see his glory, right? And and what sin does from the very first sin is, ah, don't worry about God. You know better than God. In fact, you too could become God, right? We need to be careful with anything that says that because that's the original sin is that we become a glory thief. We get to set the rules. We get to enforce the laws. We get to define truth. We get to decide what's justice. And as long as God cooperates with our sovereignty, he can stay in his nice little corner of our life, right? It's kind of hard, but yet if we think functionally how we, actually act, how we actually live these things out, we oftentimes turn into glory thieves. I had a friend once that he, he, left, he left his religion. He says, you know what? I am sick and tired of God getting credit for all the good things in my life that I've done. And I just kind of scooted over to the side. But it broke my heart because all he could see was his own goodness. And I said, okay, that's fine. How good do you think you are? He goes, well, I'm pretty nice to people and I've given some money to charity and I, you know, I'm a nice neighbor and things like that. I said, okay, that's great. You probably make what, a hundred, $150,000 a year. What do you, you know, you're probably sending what, 75% of that to, to, to places in the world that don't have clean drinking water and the moms are dying of malaria because they, you know, they're drinking dirty water and suffering from mosquito bites and malnutrition and things like that. Like you're, you're, you're giving almost all the $150,000 that you make a year for that. Right. Because, because it really, the good thing to do would be to share, to make sure that everybody has it equal. Right. Well, no, why not? Well, because I mean, I earned this. They didn't have the opportunity. Is that right? Maybe you should go give them an opportunity. Go give your job to them so that they have the chance to do that. Well, I worked hard for that. Well, you don't think they're working hard just to survive? And we went down this trail, right? And I said, not to be a Debbie Downer, but, but how good do you actually think you are? Because you're living on a gold mine and you don't share it with anybody, you know, that actually really needs it. And I said, I don't want you to be, feel bad about yourself, but at the same time, let's keep it in perspective, right? We are naturally glory thieves. Number three, but here's the reality. Only God's glory can satisfy our hunger for glory. You see, when we have this hunger for glory and we seek the glory ourselves, it won't work. 
no matter what we do, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how we good, how, how good we are at what we do, it's not going to last. Michael Jordan. I grew up watching Michael Jordan play basketball, and I'm kind of like, there will never be another Michael Jordan, right? And Michael Jordan would say, there will never be another me. I am the best that ever was and ever will be. I am the beginning and the end, right? Okay? I mean, like, he was very, very satisfied with, with, with his playing. But what happened after he retired? He came back because retirement didn't satisfy his hunger for glory. Guess what? As somebody who is in their late 20s myself, um, plus or minus a few decades, um, it, basketball doesn't have the fix that it used to. I don't get the hit from it because my body doesn't do what I want it to do. And no matter how good I ever was, it wasn't there. It wasn't enough. And so you look at that and, and he's actually even shared before kind of like, yeah, he went to gambling and he went to all these different things because he was hungering for that glory, that fix. Tom Brady, the goat, the greatest of all time, right? He retired. What was it? Michael Jordan said, he, yeah, I retired for two years. It only took him 40 days to realize he couldn't live without the glory, right? And, and then look at it. He's like, guys, he's my age. He's 40. Well, he's a year younger than me. So he's a, he's a whippersnapper, right? So my kids will say, dad, why are you? Because I would always say like America's got talent, you know, when they were like in their early teens, like here's this 12 year old, like belting out this amazing talent thing. I was like, how old are you guys? Like 12, 14. And I said, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you, you know, doing that? Right. I always get a hard time. And so what's their comeback with Tom Brady? Oh yeah, dad, how old are you? I'm Tom Brady's age. Why aren't you playing in the NFL? You know? I wanted to give God all the glory of that. That's there. So I know, right? Like, like, and, and I don't want to speculate, but there's a lot of speculation. At, and like, I wonder if some of what he, I mean, again, I mean, just Tom, if you're listening, I apologize. Just set me right. Right. But there's a lot of rumors that there's a lot of domestic turbulence at home. And, and you kind of wonder, is he you know, like, I'm retired for 40 days. And I was like, Oh, good Lord. I got to go back to football. Right. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, you literally have what? One, two, five years at the, at the, at the most yet of football? And the glory of that, that is left out on the field is more important than, than, your fam than making your family work? You get what I'm talking about? We will sacrifice anything for glory of ourselves. It's easy to want the glory of the created instead of witnessing the glory of the creator. You see, all of creation is one giant finger pointing at the creator. If we understand the things of our world, the things of our life better in the, in the best way possible, it is all pointing to the glory of the creator. Fourth, the fourth thing here, one of the most glorious parts about God's glory is his grace. You see, God is perfect. He's the creator of all things. We cannot stand in the presence of God because we are broken. We are sinful. We are glory thieves. We are just, we're, we're just fighting for ourselves. We think we know better than God. And if God would only do what I want him to do, we'd be fine. You know, and, 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 and yet God in his perfection says, I'm going to give you this gift of grace to pay the price of your brokenness so that you can stand in my presence to where we can belt it out with confidence and love and adoration and affection. I love that we can approach God through worship because of the gift of his grace. 
God's grace allows us to witness God's glory. Jesus, God's incarnational presence in his own creation, makes it possible for us to see his glory. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And in the beginning, the word already existed. The word is Jesus. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought life. uh, His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 10. He came into the world. He created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Jesus is God with skin on. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for everything comes from him, Jesus, and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. This week, I was reading in, in Revelations, and, and it's just beautiful. We talked about it Friday morning at men's group, and I just can't get off of it, right? Revelations chapter 1, verse 5, it says, All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Verse 8, I am the Alpha. This is God speaking, God the Father speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come the almighty one. And then in verse 10, it says, John saying, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard from behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. Verse 17, when I saw him, Jesus, so he's, he's like worshiping God, the father, and he's witnessing this glory of the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who always has always will be. And then he hears this voice and he turns around and he sees Jesus. And there's this great description of this bizarre description of Jesus. And there's there's more than what I can unpack here. But it's this crazy vision of who Jesus is. And he says, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega. If there's ever a question of the Trinitarian understanding of the Godhead, God, Father, God, Son, God, Spirit, he claims it right here pretty blatantly. Here's the Father, I'm the Alpha Omega, and here's the Son, I'm the beginning and the end. It's the same thing. I am the living one. I die, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. All glory goes to Jesus. Now, there's a lot going on in these passages, but the biggest thing is that as crazy glorious as the triune God is, God still wants us to know him. And he went to great lengths for us to be able to to understand that, right? His creation, our redemption, and our inspiration. 
And so how do we respond to this glory of God, right? Like God is glorious, melt your face off amazingness, right? And we should like, I mean, when, when, when John sees it, the only res- proper response to seeing Jesus is to fall flat on, his, on our faces in front of his feet as if we were dead, right? So how do we respond to this? Well, there's four common responses. One, we still deny God's existence. We still deny it. We hear it. We see it. Um, Romans 1 says that even if you've never heard the name of God or Jesus, we're still without excuse because he's put himself into his creation in a way that we should see how God works and we should see who he is and his character. But yet, time after time after time, we're blind to it. John says that, that, that God sent his son to his own people and they still didn't recognize him. Because they were so caught up with their agenda, their views, their dreams, their desires for glory. That they just missed it. Because we want to be at the center. So if I'm a Christian, how do I handle, right? Like most of our world is defined by this first response. Let's just be honest. So as a, as a follower of Jesus, how do I respond to that? Be a light that reflects the glory of God. Don't run away from the dark, run into it. It's appropriate that today on, on the 21st anniversary of 9-11, when, when courageous men and women ran up into the firewells, that's who we are to be. We should be running into the darkness because we have the light of the glory of God with us. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be avoidant. We shouldn't be insulated and isolated, keeping the light in the basket, keeping the salt in the shaker. He says, get out there, be fishers of men and women, right? Like, get out, go be a light in the dark places. Reflect the glory of God. The second common response is this. We say we believe in a God or in a higher power or higher being or higher force, right? And, and, and we can take on all these things, but what we have is a spirituality that's been neutered. Let's just call it what it is. It's a, spirit, it's a neutered spirituality. We say that it's important to believe in something, but the whole point is to remain at the center ourselves. It's about us. I've heard phrases like this, as long as you believe something. Hey, as long as you believe in something, you're good. Just as long as you don't believe, just and believe with it with all your heart. What? I saw another one last week. It said, believe in something, even if it costs you everything. That's a great phrase to whip people up into frenetic excitement and then run into a wall. I believe I can run through this mirror. You guys believe it too? I believe it with all my heart and I'm so willing to do it. I'm going to go prove it, right? You guys are mean. Come on. You're like, we want Drew as a pastor or Rich or, or anybody other than to go through there or just go through the window, right? Does belief make something true? No. It doesn't. What we believe in makes it true or not. And so to, so to say that, that we, we have a God concept or, or, a, or a concept of some higher power it means nothing, guys. 
We can have these delusions of goodness and glory and, 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 and I hold my world together. I wasn't born for that. I don't want to be God. I tried to be God in my teenage years. And guess where it got me? Wanting to end it. Because I had everything and I didn't see it. And I wanted to end it. And the thought of eternity being my own God of my own world. No, thank you. Because there's only one God that can handle that pressure. If you think that you can run your own world, go, then, then I want to see how you're doing it on this life. Because if, if you are going to want run your own world, man, I want to watch how you do your life. I'm serious. I want to learn. I want to sit at the foot at, at the feet of greatness, right? I couldn't do it. I was never meant to. A lot of us live functionally here on earth as if we could. The third is that we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in Father, Son, Spirit. We believe in the gift of grace. And we want to have a relationship with him, right? We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to study the Bible. We want to worship. We want to serve. We want to pray. We want to be in community. We want to do all the right things. We want to have that relationship, right? And these are all really, really, really good things. It's critical. And I believe at this point, when we, when we, when we accept that gift of grace, we become followers of Jesus, and we are saved for eternity. And, and what I'm going to say next isn't to diminish that. But the reality is, is even at that point, I want a relationship. And it's a little bit easier to turn Jesus into the cosmic sugar daddy in the sky, right? Like, I'm going to pray, and then what's going to happen, right? Because we can still treat God as an add-on, and we're still at the center. I know a lot of Christians, I look at one in the mirror occasionally, that, that lives this way. That's, that's me, if you're wondering who I see in the mirror, right? Like, I'm just being humble. A lot of times I get so focused on myself and what I have going on. And, and fortunately, I have really good and godly friends that say, Jace, you got to let that go. You got to stop it. Let it go. Stop trying to be the center of your own story, right? And here's the fourth. And I think this is where we want to get to. When God becomes the literal center of everything. When we step off the stage and say, God, this is your, this is for you. You're at the center. And so we evaluate every other thing in our lives through his lens. When God becomes the absolute center of everything, we are filled with awe at his glory. We are moved to surrender every aspect of our lives to him. We now, we have transferred ownership over to him of our lives. We've held nothing back. It's literally, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we, we bought a new car a while back and, and we don't even let our kids drive it. You know, if one of you says, can I, and it's just, it's just the Subaru, right? And some of you are like, Subaru, let, you know, let the dog drive it. Come on, right? Hey, I love my Subaru. Come on, you know, but I'm very protective of that. I don't want to let just anybody in there. I, I think about my kids, right? Like, who are they going to date? Who are they going to marry? Oh, do you want to see protective? You know, I'll get protective. I mean, uh, this is my kid, Right. And there's other areas of my life that I still am very protective over. But then when I think about, like last week, the Helkins dedicated their child to the Lord. And basically what that is, is it's saying, God, this is your child anyhow. We just get a raisin. 
Are we willing to sacrifice our lives to surrender our lives back to the crew, the one who created it? Are we willing to become completely dependent on our creator? Are we willing to live our lives as an act of worship? Are we overwhelmed by the love of our creator? And is it the main driving force of our life to live in and out of that love of that creator? You see the shift? Instead of just, I prayed the prayer, I accepted Jesus into my heart, I let him come into my life, I still retain ownership. But when salvation becomes something where I surrender my life to my creator, now I've transferred ownership. I no longer own my life. I'm Jesus's. Now, some of us are saying, check, please, I'm out. I understand. I, I'm, it's, I, I get it. But just hear God out in this. Now, I not saying that when you surrender your life to God and say transfer ownership, I'm not saying that you become this amazing, perfect person that never makes mistakes, that everything is going to work perfectly from here on out. Au contraire. When I make a mistake, guess what it becomes? An opportunity for God's grace. When you make a mistake, guess what it becomes? an opportunity for God's grace. You see, when I belong to God, no longer do I have to take these things so personally. I don't have to be so ashamed of my failures. I don't have to be so mad about your failures. I don't have to live in this eternal tallying of rights and wrongs, good and evil, right? Because everything that I do is God's. And so if I mess up, I'm just going to own it and say, I was a jerk. I said some mean things. I am sorry. That's not my heart. That's not, I, I don't want to insist on my glory. I want God's the glory to shine through this. How would our, our, our friendships, our marriages, our parenting, our, our, our work life, our, our public life be so much different if we focused on God's glory instead of our own? The way we filter everything changes if God is at the center We desire to look for and point to God. We will never be able to stand in the presence of God, God's glory by our own work, our own merits, our own effort. It's just, it's just the, the reality of it, right? He's too holy for that. But his grace makes it possible. He says, hey, come on, you're with me. Let's go. So we talked about in this series about how we want to bridge the gap from knowing and doing. Because it's one thing to intellectually say, I think that's a good point. I like that. I agree with that. Okay, but now what? How are we going to live in a way to where we are about God's glory, not ours? How are we going to live a way of surrender and not possession? How, how are we going to, to, to experience this? in a tangible, meaningful way. I love how Paul David Tripp talks about how before every musical performance, what does the band or the orchestra or the symphony do? Tune. They tune. It doesn't always sound good. I once, I once heard a comedian, they were playing a guitar and they said, okay, now I'm gonna play my favorite song for you that I play every time before I play. It's called, it's a love story. It's called Tuning. Thank you. Some musical people. 
to Ning, and you know, Ning would be like his wife or something like that, but it's tuning. Sorry, that is high level humor. If I have to explain it right there, you should just okay, I should just write that one out of my notes there. Note to self. Oh, I just my glory just suffered a blow on that one. There we go. There we go. <laughs> But tuning, what, what is tuning all about? It's all tuning to the same key, to the same tone, to the same note, because then you have all these different diverse instruments that are playing different notes and different this and all that kind of stuff, but they're all at the same level to where now all of a sudden what could be potentially catastrophic becomes something astoundingly beautiful. But it all comes down to what tune we're in. And so can we start every day tuning our minds, tuning our hearts, tuning our affections, tuning what what comes into our ears, what comes out of our mouth, right? Can we tune ourselves to where we're in harmony with our creator? That means immersing ourselves into God's word, spending time in conversation and prayer with God, spending time worship. Worship is is rehearsing truths in our lives and in reminding ourselves that it's about God. It's not about us. And, And yes, there's some worship music that's very warm and fuzzy and makes us feel really good. And that's great. But the whole point is the one that we're worshiping. It was interesting this week. I was I was reading um, in First uh, Samuel about how Saul is is troubled by the spirit, right? And so he brings in David, who's this amazing musician. And and whenever the spirit would be troubling Saul, he would bring in David. And 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 David was given a a, a gift of being a fantastic musician. He'd come in and he'd play music, and Saul would be like, oh, "Okay, okay, right." But then what does he want to do? He tries to kill David. <laughs> The one who is trying to, he was using the gift that God gave him to calm him and he misses it because he wanted the glory for himself. Are we tuning? Are we, are we, you can hear these things, but are we actually tuning our hearts to the things of God? The focus should be on biting on being rooted, on practicing the presence of God, of examining ourselves and our lives and our actions and our thoughts and our temptations. Are we examining these things? Are we reflecting on the goodness of God and the truth of God and the mercy and the grace and, and the sovereignty and the holiness of God? Are we reflecting on these things? Are we surrendering? Are we actively saying, I am so worked up about this, or I want this so bad, or or whatever it is, are we just stepping back and saying, I need to give this to God. I need to surrender this to him. Can we spend time lingering? One of the things that Nicole and I realized after, after several years of marriage is we want linger time together. It's one thing to go on vacations where we're go, go, go. It's one thing to, to, to do a life of mission every day and blah, 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 blah. And it's all good, but are we lingering with each other to where we're just enjoying that time? Or is the same thing with our relationship with God? Are we lingering with God? And are we celebrating the goodness of God and what he's doing? You see, the key here is humility. God's glory should result in our humility. Humility frees us to see God's glory. The enemy of God's glory is pride because pride insists and seeks our glory. Let's not race through life so quickly that we miss the glory of our creator. It's all around us. 
when life happens, when hard things happen, when, when, when we don't know how to take the next step, the next breath, when we're flying high and life seems so good. I've heard people before, life is good. I don't need God. I got this. Whether it be through the highs or the lows, can we humbly go to God and say, God, this is your glory. I want to experience humility because it enables me to see your glory. I want to do battle with pride because I don't want to seek my own. Let's not race through life and miss the one who created it. So this week, let's look at our view of God. Do we have a big view of God or do we have a small view of God or do we have no view of God? What is our view of God? Let's spend some time just thinking about that, taking inventory. And then two, how can we grow a bigger view of God? Maybe some of us need to just slow down and stop looking at all the distractions, all the hard things in life. And maybe we just need to do like a thankfulness journal or a praise journal or something like that. And notice all the amazing things around us. And yes, sin is going to tempt us to always focus on the negatives and, and, and control the narrative of, well, this is bad. And we're just, we just want to be a bunch of Eeyores, right? But yet God is so good. Let's not miss what's in front of us. How can we expand our view of God? And then last, let's just pray that God opens our eyes to his glory, that, that God opens our eyes to his glory, that we can see him more clearly. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, thank you that you are the creator of all things, but yet you draw us to yourself. God, you cast stars like you're playing heavenly cornhole and you're just throwing them out and you're creating these things. And, and God, you have this design, this intelligence that you've put into your own creation. God, we should tremble when we even think about who you are. But yet, God, you love us. You sacrificed everything to draw us to yourself. You want to be known by us. So, God, I, I pray that you would just reveal the prideful things in our hearts that we insist on our own holiness. We insist on our own glory. We insist on what we want. God, on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, in the things that feel the best and the things that feel the worst. God, I pray that we would seek you and, and that we wouldn't give up hope because you are the creator. You are the sustainer. God, we can have confidence no matter what happens, that you're in control. You are sovereign. You are powerful. And more than anything, God, you are loving. God, speak to us where we're at. Each one of us, draw us to yourself. God, we love you and we praise you. Praise you to your name. Amen.